Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. God had promised to Adam in Eden that if he ate from the forbidden tree, death would enter into the world. And you know the story. Adam ate, death entered. Genesis 5, if you ever started one of those Bible reading plans, whether you got to the end or not, you at least got to Genesis 5, and you saw there that the curse of Genesis 3, death in the world, is definitely fulfilled by Genesis 5, because there you have a genealogy leading from Adam, that first man, down to Noah, and every section ends how? And he died. Most of these deaths in that genealogy of Genesis 5, probably natural, what we would call, no death is natural, but what we would call natural deaths. Why do we know that? Because how long do they live? Oddly, at that time, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. So we can assume most of them died of old age, very old age. But what's interesting is that the very first death recorded in the Bible wasn't Adam's. And it was not a natural death. The very first death is one chapter before in Genesis chapter 4. And in that chapter we find the story of the first brothers, to our knowledge, sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And Abel is the first death we know of. The first time that the curse was fulfilled from Genesis 3 was in Abel, and that was not a natural death. We read in Genesis 4, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We might be tempted to pity Abel, the very first one to experience death that we know of. The reality is that in Genesis chapter 4, Abel's death is not the worst death. The worst death that we find in Genesis chapter 4 was the spiritual and moral death found in Cain, not in Abel. It was Cain who hated his brother. Abel offered true sacrifices to God. Abel was righteous. So to be righteous... To love as God is love, to be righteous, and then to physically die while unpleasant has been made, in a sense, noble because that's the very life and death of Jesus our Savior. He was righteous, he loved others, and because of that, he physically died. That's not the worst kind of death. To hate and then even to go on living, that's death. And that is the worst kind of death. That's the death that Cain, with the mark upon his head, had to endure his whole life before he physically died. That is what Scripture would say, being dead even while you live. Hate. That's what we found in Cain. The Apostle John in the New Testament comments on Genesis chapter 4. And he says this about it. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. 
And at the end of that section, John concludes, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that from Jesus' own words, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Everyone who hates is a murderer, is under judgment, is within what the Bible calls a spiritual death, the worst kind of death. I promise you, far worse than physically dying, as terrible as that is. That is the horrid death that entered in Genesis chapter 3. Physical death was part of it, but only part of it. And the more essential death that came into this world and that dominates this world is this spiritual corruption that shows itself most clearly in Cain by hate, which is, of course, what the devil wants to bring into the world. Now, anger in itself, being angry, that's not forbidden in the Bible. In fact, we have Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. And, this is important, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So this hatred, this spiritual death producing hatred, we're not talking about just being angry when you see something wrong done. It's probably how you should feel. But we're talking about the sun going down on that anger again and again until this root of bitterness grows and you can't stand someone. You hate them. Bitterness. That's death. And in fact, apart from pride, we could say that kind of bitterness is the most satanic of all sins. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, inspired in Cain, the death of his brother. That's why we should not be surprised when we think about the fact that in eternity past, what was there? Only God existing as three persons, mutually loving and embracing. Then if Satan wants to undo all that is God and all that is good in the world, then what does he produce? Just the opposite. Hatred, bitterness. This... Bitterness was the club that Cain really used to beat his brother to death. In a world like ours, here you are, filled with disappointments, pains, wrongs, everything. I could probably guess that for most of us, most of you, you've come in here this morning with some degree of bitterness. That club that Cain used, you've got a small one this big in your pocket, some degree of bitterness toward someone. and You brought it in with you. There it is, even as a believer. This is still the devil's work to produce this detesting hatred, bitterness because someone has wronged you. It's like um, the pot within your heart is on a low bubble. It's simmering, and you might not always think about it, but when you do, it pops and fizzles, and you react when you think of that person or you encounter them. And there it is. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is death in the pot. That's the biblical view of bitterness. That this is a sickness. That it is not health. And that our Heavenly Father is so determined, you as His children, to pull this bitterness out of you, which is sometimes quite a labor, that He's provided for you this morning in the book of Jonah, a text that is focused on that very thing. 
Here we are in Jonah. We've seen many of Jonah's own failures. Finally, though, he did go and preach judgment to Nineveh. He was okay to do that because he hated the Ninevites. However, the Ninevites repented in mass at the message of Jonah, and God determined at the end of chapter 3 he would not destroy them. That brings us here to a picture of bitterness, hatred in Jonah at the start of chapter 4. So let's read this. Jonah chapter 4, 1 through 4. God pardoned them. He relented of his anger. And this text begins, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? We are not in this text dealing with a righteous anger towards sin. Righteous anger is a part of the very character of God. In fact, you know the psalm that says God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Jesus flipped tables in righteous anger. So, we are not talking about with Jonah anger as if it were evil wrong in itself. Usually is, not always. Even God gets angry in a right way. In fact, in our text, in chapter 3, God had felt angry toward Nineveh just like Jonah does. That was before Nineveh had repented. That means that Jonah's anger is of a different sort than God's. God has anger. You can have anger in bounds that Scripture sets. Jonah's anger is not within those bounds. Jonah is still angry after Nineveh has repented. Just notice that Nineveh has now repented. Chapter 3, verse 10, it said they turned from their evil way. What made God angry was their evil way. The old Nineveh, but now they've turned from their evil way. God's not angry. Jonah is still angry. So what is it that makes Jonah angry? Why is he displeased if it's not an evil way? It's not in the city anymore. They're righteous now. They've repented. What is fueling his anger so much so that in our text he wants to die? Bitterness. It's bitterness. Jonah had let the sun go down on his anger. The devil had gotten a foothold. Jonah cannot stand the Ninevites. That's why a righteous person might be moved to anger when they see evil. Jonah is here moved to anger when he sees good. God kindly sparing the Ninevites. It's because within his heart that pot is bubbling. It's simmering, has been for a long time. He is bitter toward the Ninevites. It's the only explanation 
or the primary explanation, I should say, of why he hates them, wants them destroyed, cannot stand God's tolerance. So what we're going to do this morning is look at the bitterness of Jonah because it's a lot like yours. And what we want to see, especially in Jonah's bitterness, is the insanity of it. This is not, and you sense that when I read this text, you probably chuckled at verse 4. This is not reasonable. So there is an insanity, a lack of reason and sane thinking to Jonah's bitterness, and there always is when you're bitter too. So we want to spend most of our time here focused on that, and I will bring us at the end to a brief conclusion where we focus on at least the starting of what is the cure to that kind of bitterness if it's in your heart? What do you do? We'll begin to see the answer here, and we'll see more of it next week. So let's focus first then on the insanity of Jonah's bitterness and then the cure for such an insanity at the end. So first let's look at that insane bitterness, really unreasonable here at the beginning of chapter 4. And I want to do that by just pointing your attention to one small word in verse 1. And it is the word it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. When any of us become angry, it becomes, you know, difficult to think clearly. So here we are, and we can think clearly for Jonah, and ask the question, Jonah, what is it that is so displeasing you in this text, so much so that you want God to kill you? And the answer is, as we said, the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That's it. Jonah had preached in the city a little while previously. Yet 40 days and this city will be overthrown. Jonah didn't mind to preach that one. He liked that message, I'm sure. But Nineveh changed. And like we had said last week, when Nineveh changed, God's attitude toward Nineveh changed. God himself does not change in his character, in his being, in his promises. No change. But because God doesn't change, he's righteous. So if he sees evil, he feels wrath. And that's what he felt toward evil old Nineveh. But because God not, does not change as a merciful and a loving God, if he sees people repenting, then his attitude toward them, toward the new humble Nineveh, is one of mercy. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So when old Nineveh changed, became new Nineveh, that's humble, then God's attitude toward them changed. The main problem in our text today is that Jonah stayed exactly the same. Jonah did not change his attitude toward the new Nineveh. To him, it was still the old Nineveh, not a new Nineveh. So really, we could say, and this would probably be fair, that the first reason that Jonah's bitterness, his anger toward Nineveh is insane, is because Jonah is actually angry at nothing. Think for a moment. What is it that originally produced this anger toward Nineveh, the capital of that enemy nation, Assyria? It's that they're evil. They're not 
Israel, they are wicked. In fact, they had long been a threat to the people of God and later in future generations would destroy Israel. It was their wickedness, their corruption that inspired in Jonah this anger toward them. That's what he's angry at. But here's the problem. Now he's in front of their capital city and that's not them anymore. So what is Jonah angry about? You could say that Jonah's angry still about the past. The fact is, what is the past? Is it a thing? Is it a person? Is it, what is the past? You can't put it in your pocket. What's the, the past is, it's gone. It's time that's gone. Jonah is angry at nothing. Because when he comes to Nineveh, the people are not the unrighteous, wicked people they were before. It's a new Nineveh. That's why God, because he's not insane, he looks at and sees the new Nineveh and gives grace. But Jonah sees the new Nineveh and his vision is completely blinded from it. He sees the old Nineveh. The problem is, there is no old Nineveh. Jonah's anger is an anger at absolutely nothing that actually exists. That's the main problem with it. But you've experienced bitterness yourself, and you know that this is true of your bitterness as well. Whether the other person, if you feel someone has wronged you, whether they've repented of it or not, when this anger turns into bitterness, it may have started with something that really was wrong toward you. Maybe horribly wrong, maybe unspeakably wrong. But you know what happens next. Once you've not dealt with that anger biblically and it festers into bitterness, now everything that person does is wrong. Even if it's not. This is the way that bitterness works. You start even inventing in your mind bad things about the person you don't like. Because you don't like them. And you're working hard in your mind to justify your hatred of that person. It's true, like I said, whether they've repented or not repented of it. There's not just now real wrongs that you have to work through, but now there's even fake wrongs, things that haven't even happened. You're angry about thoughts they never even thought, but they would think that, but they didn't think that, but it's because you are bitter toward them. You have now come to a place, and this is probably why, by the way, when you are bitter towards someone, it's easiest to believe rumors about them, because you say they would do that even if they haven't. And you start to get angry about things that don't even exist. I'm not questioning your mental stability, but maybe the Bible is, because that is what bitterness does. So if you think for Jonah, on a larger scale, one way this shows itself is in really this unhealthy nationalism. That's a contentious term right now, but just I'm talking about Jonah's commitment to Israel, his people. And that's one of the reasons he hates Assyria, because they're not Israel. This is the same theme that would be carried over into the New Testament as Jesus and the Holy Spirit have to convince his people, no, it's okay, the Gentiles, they're not Jewish, but they are part of the people of God. But this, no, our people, no. That's sort of a large-scale Bitterness and that same anger at nothing can develop there when you have our people and those bad nasty Gentiles then all the rumors all the even fake things about what they've done help to fuel that anger about those other people who are bad so there's maybe real bad things and there's fake bad things doesn't matter because when that bitterness starts going 
you're not reasonable. You just know you hate them. Jonah, similarly, Jonah, why are you so angry at these Ninevites? They've changed. They're Assyrians. That's enough to condemn them. They are not the people of God. They are nasty, dirty, evil, corrupt, wicked, bloody Assyrians. And the reality is, they're Assyrians, but they're none of those adjectives. That's what they were. It's not what they are. Jonah, why are you angry? He's angry at nothing. More personally, bringing it down more personally, if you have someone who's the object of your bitterness, like I said, it usually develops beyond just things they've actually done into you want to find things they've done. You want there to be more bad to prove you're right about being angry at them. And so often you're susceptible to rumors or to anybody's negative opinion of someone. Think about it in the Old Testament when Saul was afraid of David and he thought that this young David was going to try to take his throne. The reality is David never wanted to take Saul's throne. And yet how many campaigns did Saul lead out his men on to try to kill David, convinced he was trying to usurp him? And how many of those ended with David saying, look, I could have killed you. I didn't. I don't want to kill you. I'm not trying to take your throne. Saul said, okay, you're right. Goes back, paranoid, comes back. Bitterness does just that same thing in us. We do the same with our enemies or those who have hurt us. Jonah here is hating a group of Ninevites who don't even exist. He is hating the past Ninevites. They're not past Ninevites anymore. So he's not, he's not fully sane here. So that's one reason because he's hating nothing. But there's another reason that there's an insanity to his bitterness in our text. And that's because... If you pushed it and we had to say exactly what he's hating, okay, he's hating nothing, but what, is there something really that he's hating? And this is what the text says, yes. Actually, the thing that Jonah cannot stand is goodness. That's why at the end of our text, God says, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> Why are you hating goodness? Return to our first question about the it in verse 1. It displeased him. What is it? It's the sparing of the Ninevites because he's angry at them. But the it more specifically is the sparing. It's the fact that God relented. And you see this amazingly in our text. Finally, at this point, Jonah comes clean and says, this is why I ran in chapter 1. Notice verse 2 of chapter 3 here, or 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, isn't this what I said when I was yet in my country? Chapter 1. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Here's why. Here's what he hates. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but to Jonah, he can't stand it. That's like having the most exquisite meal set before you. You take your first bite. This is five-star Michelin, incredible stuff. And you love it. And you say, I can't stand this. It's so good. I hate, get this out of my face. It's too good. <laughs> or this would be like, I don't know, going get a haircut and the 
Barbara does just a perfect job. Your hair is exactly what you always wanted it to be. You say, I'm never coming back here. This is too good. <laughs> you don't do that. And yet that's exactly what Jonah's doing. He's angry at God. And when he explains why, it's because he says, I knew you were good. I knew it. And I cannot stand it. This is not reasonable. This is not sane. Be mad at bad things. But Bitterness will lead you to be mad even at good things. And that's what's happening here. There's nothing reasonable about hating goodness, especially God's goodness. And that's why Jonah, and this is what bitterness, you can laugh at Jonah, but you know bitterness does this to you too. He becomes like a little child who's thrown himself on the floor and he's throwing a tantrum and saying unreasonable things. And that's really what you have in verse 3. Therefore, because you're such a good God, oh, Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I don't want to live in a world with such a good God. <laughs> uh. But that is just what bitterness does. It messes up our reasoning so that we can, on the one hand, justify being angry at nothing, justify if we act poorly, if we treat others like dirt, we justify it. But it's good. Why is it good? It just is, because they're bad. And on the other hand, we can take something as good as God's own nature and start to think it's bad. That's insanity. That's insanity. What? Woe to the one, Scripture says, who calls good bad and bad good. Light darkness and darkness light. And that's what Jonah's doing. That's what we do when we get angry. Our reasoning, you know this. You get heated, you feel it in your face, and your reasoning... It's going and then it's off the rails and it just starts going and you have to stop it. And that's certainly happening for Jonah. He just hates Nineveh so much that his reason gets him to a place where he can't even stand the goodness of God. Now listen, when there's real conflict, and we've just been through a church split, so you know about, not just last year, but you know there's real conflict in life. Not the light stuff, but even the heavy stuff. You know that when that happens, there are complicated issues that you have to work through. So I'm not making light of those issues. You have to start to think, do I address the elephant in the room every time I see someone who left? Or do I just pretend there's not an elephant in the room? Or when do I do which? That's hard to know. You have to decide how you're going to treat people in a way that expresses love, but also I don't agree with you. That's not easy to do. In leadership, you have to decide things like, how much do we lean on Paul defending his own ministry in 2 Corinthians? And then how much do we just leave it in the hands of God and let him vindicate us? Those are all really tough questions. So I'm not trying to oversimplify things. But here's the reality. All of those questions become 1,000 times more difficult for you to answer when there's bitterness involved. Because those all require very careful, sane thinking. And bitterness does not make you think like that. When you become as mad as Jonah, fuming at things that don't exist, even angry at God himself and what he's doing, he's getting it wrong then. If he's letting them be okay or whatever, that's what he's doing here with Nineveh. And it becomes hard to answer these kinds of questions. So what do you do, as we come here briefly to the end, what do you do 
when you are feeling bitterness in your heart, maybe it's towards someone in your family who has wronged you. Maybe it's towards someone else who's in here. That's awkward. Maybe it is toward a bully, political opponent, former spouse, current spouse. Bitterness in your heart. Moving from the insanity of his bitterness now to the cure, let me just give you a preview and say that even in this text, focused as it is on Jonah's insanity, the cure is suggested to us. And it's not an easy cure to bitterness, especially if it's been there a long time, but I will say it's a simple cure. And you can see it here that there is just one antidote to something as powerful as hatred that fumes and gets its roots into the heart. And it is the very goodness of God that Jonah so much hated. Because although it's couched in a complaint, look at verse 2 again. Jonah knew you are, and this is true, a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We have said that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah, it's not about the fish, it's not about the Ninevites or the sailors. The book of Jonah is mainly about this God. It is to prove to you that the God who exists, the God of heaven and earth, is a merciful God. That's the sort of God that he is. All of those things, those good things, if you believe that, you will be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, faithful love and relenting in your anger. Because if you believe that's God and you believe that's utter goodness, then that's what you want to be. And what's more, that goodness of God, the cure for your bitterness, it's a cure because you see God's goodness toward others and go, I should do that too. It's also a cure because you see God's goodness toward you. And isn't that what we see in the last verse of this text? We expect a rebuke <laughs> to slap Jonah across the face or send fire on his head instead of Nineveh. But instead you find a question. Do you do well to be angry? End of scene. Why ask a question? God is even with stubborn Jonah trying to woo him away from bitterness. It's that kind of mercy on the part of God. If you've got bitterness in your heart right now, you feel defensive, upset. It's that kind of goodness on the part of God. Like Wick had said, you're safe because of who God is. That allows you to put down the defenses, think reasonably, because God accepts you in Christ and is merciful toward you, so you can be merciful. This morning, God is doing what he did for Jonah to you. He's asking that same question to you. What's your bitterness? Who's it toward? I know others can be cruel. Others can do unspeakable things. Some of you in your past are bringing unspeakable things with you, saying, maybe I don't fully understand that. I get that. God does, I don't. People will disappoint you, and you know what? You will do just the same to a lot of other people. Sorry, that's just how it goes. But if God is merciful and kind toward them right now in his disposition, who are you to be anything other than that? Again, short-term anger toward wrong, 
Okay? Do not let the sun go down. Do not allow there to be bitterness that's easily provoked. Just imagine, besides, how much peace you would feel if you could just whew, let that go. Whatever your bitterness may be, whatever complex questions it may pose that you have to think through, you have to look God's mercy right in the face this morning. There it is in the text for you, his mercy, his grace, and you have to hear that question for you. Do you do well to be angry? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you as the good shepherd of your people that you have provided for us this text. These were written long ago. Yet as Paul says, these were written for our instruction. And this is true, Lord. In a difficult time, it's easy for bitterness to appear. And I pray you'd root it out. I pray it wouldn't be present among us, that you would continue to ask these questions to us and woo us away from it, give us sanity, reason, and clarity in the complex issues. Now, after a church split, and I just pray for that wisdom that comes from above that is pure and peaceable and gentle and full of good fruits. I pray we would be that kind of people, just as you are that kind of God, that you would help us to learn right here not to be like Jonah, not to want the death of enemies, but rather like Christ, to lay down our lives, not just for friends, to lay down our lives for persecutors, to sacrifice and pray for those who hate us. I pray you'd produce that in us. For the sake of your great name, make us virtuous people who are pleasing in your sight. For the sake of Christ, we pray it. Amen.